Today I'm talking again with Joachim Reinke about how tools can relieve your typical pain points in requirements engineering. Welcome to episode 42. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm yours, Georg Lora, and this is the Mastering Embedded Systems Podcast. You get know-how, tools, processes, and surplus information in this podcast. Or in a nutshell, I give you my best for your success in embedded systems projects. In episode 38, I have already had the pleasure to welcome Joachim Reinke. Joachim is an expert for requirements engineering in episode 38, he explained to us the reasons why we definitely need requirements engineering. And I'm so happy what we managed again to continue our talk. Today we are discussing about the big pain points in requirements engineering and how tools will relieve this pain. But we needed to back up a little bit to grab the bigger picture. Before we could jump into the details of how to select an appropriate requirements engineering tool, we needed to clarify what are the main pain points. And on the other side, it's also not that easy to find the right tool because there are several aspects you need to consider. For example, you will regularly not establish such a tool on the green field. There will be environmental conditions, limitations and constraints which might bother you. And here, Joachim's list of nine important bullets when selecting an RE tool will become very helpful. As always, links and additional information in the show notes at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 42. But now, let's jump right into it. Stay tuned and be inspired. I'm simply not that familiar with the, uh, with the requirements engineering. So it's, mm -hmm. okay. mm -hmm. for me, it's really some kind of unknown country, unknown foreign area. Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> I think it's... Uh, it's, it's, I, it's I more, more, than, more than glad to, to hand you my map. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. So I want to, brain, uh, to pick your brain. So I said, okay, Joachim, I'm happy to have you again on board uh, and in, in the show again, second time, second time. The first time I have one guest the second time. So that's also oh, no, a no one for me. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you very much. I'm, I'm flattered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah, great. We are again in the details about um, uh, requirements engineering. After the last okay. episode, we got into the situation that we have something like uh, we 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 uh, no, it, it was different. I got um, a message. I got a mail by some guy from a company in Canada and mm -hmm. asking me whether I could forward you guys uh, or the audience simply uh, a, a product we have produced to support requirements engineering uh, for beta testing. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, I cannot even evaluate what that, what that means, mm -hmm. but I have someone in mind who is the absolute specialist for these details. And oh, then okay. mm -hmm. I asked you again, and now yeah. we are, you're back again. So great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there I am. So, yeah, I think the topic today will be something like, uh, what, about, what about pain points in requirements engineering? We have tackled, we have tackled some points already last time. So about complexity, I remember, and, and yeah, things like that. And, and mm -hmm. I think uh, then we should cover, if, if, if we have managed this kind of pain points and said, okay, what mm -hmm. are these especially, and uh, a little bit in detail, and then, Let's make the move towards how can a tool support us? Is there any, a tool? Of course, there are tools, but what are the drawbacks? What are the pros, cons, and so on? Yeah, that's great. That's fine, great. Fine for you? Yeah, okay, good. 
that's that, that's right. Jump into it. Yeah, well, very well. Um, I like the approach to to start over the pain points because usually when you when you consider or hear about the subject of requirements engineering, or to put it in more modern words, into the agile world, um, they they don't really like to talk about it as requirements engineering, but they have as um let's let's say they they would probably phrase it a little bit like product owner craftsmanship or or um, being good at um, at um, at writing down really good uh, user stories of this, which basically boils down to the same thing. It's requirements engineering in, in other terms. Um, it it usually it it, it usually um, starts with um, someone recognizing something like the way we are handling things right now is well can be better than than uh, we are currently handling it. We are running into problems every now and then, and we seem to be running into the same categories of problems again and again and again. And let's figure out what the rest of the world has has uh, for solutions up their sleeves for these problems. This is usually where it starts. And I just want to, to sketch the road to, to the end of the session today where we are going to talk about tools for requirements engineering. The road is usually like you discover that you would like to um, be better in particular areas around requirements engineering. And then a slow process starts of uh, getting consciousness for this. And the end of this process may be that you not even get better process-wise and SOP-wise in terms of this is going to be done about requirements first, then that, then that. But in the end, it usually boils down to, well, now we have this particular process. Can't we support that with the software? Isn't there something out there which we can use? What should we think about when we have vendors pitch over here? This is usually and we can go down this this uh, road um, example wise today and usually when usually how you start is the the first pain you usually have is um something like oh we have thought about this like 3 months ago and i remember this this and that colleague being in the room and I think we discussed it for a while, like two hours, and I think we came to a particular conclusion as to how our product is going to solve this, but I can't exactly remember what we said. Or the other side is, but the other colleague remembers differently than I do. This is usually one of the first, one of the first things of, um, of, of um, developing um, a consciousness around requirements. You usually don't call it like that at p that particular point. Joachim, does that mean it belongs only to the missing agreement? Is this more some kind of a communication issue then? Or is it more something like a general approach, we don't take care for it, or something else? I, I, don't, I don't get a point there currently. I think it had, it has uh, has to do with with both aspects. It's it's definitely a communication thing okay. because you can see requirements engineering just as um, assistance for communication. Uh -huh. um, 
like writing down in a specialized way something which you communicated with your peers. Okay. You can look yeah. at requirements engineering like that. If you do it, which is totally valid, then it's a communication problem. Um, in particular, the communication problem is that you have missed to write down complex decisions about things which you discussed long time ago. Um, because humans don't remember complex things they discuss. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, yeah. So, and if they do remember, they remember it differently than the other ones which were in the room. This is not special to engineers who build uh, technical products, which is the do domain in, in which we are talking today. This is, this is true for everyone. Whatever you discuss and decide upon today, if it's complex enough, you won't be able to remember it in the same way the other persons which have been in the room from now or six months from now or something but it's necessary because um, you build um, subsequent decisions on that and if you don't know what to build them on well you're lost you're definitely lost so this is usually one of the first pain points which comes up i thought it was an individual problem of myself so no, <laughs> because I, I i always forgot details often. very often uh -huh. very often okay this What, what comes first? So when you are, um, this is the first thing, this is what I call the awakening, the awakening of um, and the, the first development of, of the question, am I the only one who is running into these problems every now or then? And the answer okay. is no, you aren't. Yeah. it's normal, it's natural. And the industry has solutions for that, um, which you can look at and implement if you like to, and if you find the time and money to do so. Um, the second uh, thing, the second thing which which usually comes up in terms of complex products and what we are building is complex products, is um, like we have implemented this and that complex calculation algorithm. Um, I think a year ago. Um, we have the implementation, of course, available. It's like 4,000 lines C code. We can look at it. We can look what this code does, but we don't know the mathematics behind it anymore because it's just implemented mathematics. And even if we did, we wouldn't know why we chose exactly that calculation and not another one. Oops. Okay. It usually, it, it, this is another pain point when it comes to doing calculations. Um, this is where it usually starts, I don't know what the exact calculation formula which we agreed upon was because we didn't write it down. Ah, okay. So someone picked it simply some kind of formula out of a book and then But implemented... You have it everywhere. Whether you calculate, um, you know that better than I do because that you're expert in that, whether you calculate um, antenna things and strength of signal strength calculations in um, complex mobile um, telecommunication systems, which has lots of lots of different calculations and mathematics in it, or if you are in the finance sector where you calculate how much... Um, monthly rate a particular customer with a particular credit has to pay um, 
if he has this and that money available. Okay. This is also, you have it everywhere. You have it everywhere. In the field, I am have been working for a long time, like medical industry. We are talking about algorithms which evaluate ECGs, which are derived from, from the patient's heart. It's calculations as well, and you usually have them. And um, if if you miss to write down the the mathematical um, basis for it and, and the functions for it and the calculations for it, and you just go for the implementation, it's really hard to figure out er, uh, later on whether what you did is what you meant. Uh-huh. And then the third kicks in because there's a reason why you revisit that particular spot. The reason is always because you figure you would possibly like to change it and if you don't know what it does it's really hard to change it this is usually the third pain point where where um, engineers figure out there must be something which gets me rid of these problems because i'm running into them every now and then so the third point is changing the complexity changing things yeah ah, okay and if you want to change things you need to know what are you changing Uh, and if you have missed to write that down, it's really hard. I, you mean in what direction uh, it should originally go, and now you want to change something yeah, where yeah, you need the exactly, new direction, exactly, and then okay, exactly. okay, that's that's weird, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, I've got a nice example for this. Um, there's um, a particular particular app which you have on um, iPhone as well as as Android, and uh, that calculates particular things and. Um, I, I can't give the name of that, but it's a real life example. It calculates particular things. And what turned out later is that for the same case, the Android implementation calculated another number as a result <laughs> than the iPhone <laughs> calculation did. So when they discovered that, they, of course, they started to fight over which is right. And you cannot fight over that because the other one has to change, right? Yeah, right, you, right. You can't, uh, you can't fight over that if no one bothered to write down what exactly you expect. Mm. <laughs> so you just had two different implementation in two different programming languages. Yeah, and that's where you are. So how can you decide which one is correct without having written down before what correct is in your case? How can you change anything then if you don't know that? This is usually the third pain point um, when it comes to we need to do something about requirements. Mm -hmm. And um, a fourth pain point I have been experiencing um, is only true for regulated industries, regulated uh, domains. Um, means um, wh what we do have, we, we have five, basically five highly regulated uh, domains of the industry, which is defense, energy, medtech and pharma, aerospace and automotive. Those are really highly regulated by laws and uh, norms and, um, and uh, controlling bodies, um, which you have to expect to be audited by and so on and so on. So there's lots of external rules which go into the process of how you develop your products. And what's usually the first 
thing in every of these regulated branches, the first thing which um, the outside asks for from you and from your development process is traceability. Okay, yeah. Mm. Um, you need to be able to um, show and demonstrate potential auditors everything from the initial idea of a product feature down to the test of the implementation of that product feature. You need to be, uh, to be able to provide an audit trail to that. This is usually not an intrinsic thing because if someone has the option to uh, avoid that, he will usually do that because it costs a lot of time and money and it is really no fun at all to do that manually. Um, so you would want to avoid that if you could. But at least in those five industries, and there is a couple of more industries really running into that direction, food as I'm uh, getting in the last time, food is going to be highly regulated more and more. And they are the next ones who are going to, to tumble into that. Um, so there's external motivations that you provide that. Mm -hmm. And this means in particular, if you have to provide traceability, you have to have requirements because that's something you have to trace. Right, yeah. Huh? If you have a particular implementation, you need to be able to trace it back to the requirements. So you have to have them. This is usually um, a pain point which is um, highly valid for these regulated domains. This is what I'm getting. This is, I, I'd say this is, um, according to my experience, um, yeah, the, the, the pain points which, um, which there definitely are. Uh, uh, there is, um, I would put that in brackets, possibly a fifth one, uh, which is not really a pain point, but it is a necessity. If you're doing contract work, like you develop mm -hmm. a project, or a part of a product for someone external who is hiring you to do that. You usually, you usually set up a contract for that, and that contract usually has an appendix which has the requirements. Then, um, well, I wouldn't exactly call that a pain point because it's, it's normal um, that you have requirements because um, the contractor will want to be able to figure out, has the contractee done everything I ordered oh, him right. to do, yeah. right? Mm. So, yeah, um, you, you tackled that already in our first, yeah. you know, in first case, meeting. Normal. Everyone yeah. does, and no one would even think about running without requirements. Of yeah, course. right. Um, yeah, but if you are, um, say, if you are a, well, um, if you are um, developing products in-house, then uh, these contracts do not apply. You don't have them. You don't have a contract between your development department and your product management department. So you don't have this um, legal obligation and so you think you can do without mm -hmm. yeah, yeah but not not really yeah yeah Finally. until until you stumble into these pain points which i meant in the beginning yeah besides pain points two and three which belongs to complex algorithms and so um, you have simply forgotten uh, what what we have done and the third one which belongs to change this existing complexity um mm -hmm. I, I would combine that to to one part or to one to one issue. Yeah, and, you can, of course. And, yeah. and, and the first one, that's completely something. I would say, okay, that's that's more or less the regular thing. So we 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 forget communi communicated things, agreed things. If we are not 
put it into a let's say a written format which is understood and agreed by by everybody so we, this is one part so it belongs to communication um belongs to organization a little bit the second one is not only organize it's not only communication it's a little bit of organization of the work and as, as you have told me that about the formula and then what I have regularly done that, that that was simply my own pain point because I regularly forget these details as so, I mean if I have to do some kind of implementation and I found a way how to implement the algorithm I regularly forgot it forget after mm -hmm. one year or two years I don't have, totally I don't have any any remembering of what what were my thoughts at that moment the same with me and then <laughs> yeah and, and then I I regularly wrote some kind of a big story in front of the details and telling them what I have thought at that point and why, why mm -hmm. I've gone this good. way and this way and That's that good. way. Yeah. So it's some part of, uh, let's say, it, it was only for helping myself out of the pain. Mm -hmm. uh, I was, yeah, but you, what, what you did at that very point, you did requirements engineering. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it is. There is um, in requirements engineering, no requirement is valid if you don't have a particular reason, a particular big picture behind it, why you want it. Uh -huh. You need to have reason for requirement. And if you can't come up with one, you can write down. You should rather think about it another time. Uh -huh. Because without a reason, you shouldn't have any requirements. Otherwise, you would do what you would be doing is gold plating. That's what it's called. Yeah. If you are implementing requirements without a reason, then you're doing gold plating. Okay, yeah. Well, that, this uh, I, I've just finished uh, a, a series about Deathmatch projects uh, where we, we go into the situation, but we have to renegotiate the requirements and features and functions and where it's exactly these kind of things. What are... What are the right 20 percent of the in in the Pareto, and or, or what are the the main things we we really effectively have to implement? And I think very often this is something which is uh, not taken into account at the very beginning of some kind of project. So it was sim simply everything looks equally fair prioritized. So everything is exactly high prioritized, and we don't run into a problem. And uh, But if it's not taken into some kind of consistent format, I don't know whether the written format is the right one, but in some kind of consistent format, you will be lost after after some time, and not only months, but maybe also years. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So that that means if I... Let, I won't just jump back to the first one here with, with the thought about um, um, that we do not exactly remember that that's something as you said it's something purely human so we, we we do it like that and especially i as i remember in my own projects it's there is a high time pressure where is a tight schedule and there are agreements made on the floor so you simply meet the other and say oh let's do it that and that and that way and then everybody is fine everybody has understood something but you don't inform your guys you don't inform your developers and then things are happening you are even not aware of and and you don't expect that it happens that way because you have agreed with someone but the communication has not done what, how how should how should you do it if if it were more than two piece persons involved well um I think the the way you can address it is um, by raising concern over the pain and trying to figure out if there is someone else but you experiencing this pain. Um, 
that you, down the road half a year you have lost valuable information and if you are the only one then you will probably not be able to convince the others to do some requirements documentation mm -hmm. um, it's i i don't i don't think it, it works like um trying to order requirement uh, documentation to be done um if if there is not the common understanding that there is value behind it that you save yourself time not right now because now it costs you time but pay it pays off a hundred times half year down the road usually it does um if you can convince the team um, that there is value in writing down what you decided, then that's 90% of the job done. And uh, this is, this is usually how I would, how I would address this subject, like sharing what I am, uh, which, which pain I am currently experiencing and figuring out if I'm the only one. And how should that look like? Then how should, how can I do that? Um, well, um, what I have been doing um, when I um, when I well how, how would you call it when when I was de deployed into teams, which um, uh, I figured out had exactly this problem that they didn't um, write down what they decided, which is basically requirements engineering. Um, then I um, I just openly asked in 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 the meeting. Um, okay, this was quite complex. I have written down a few words as to how I think I understood we decided this and that here. Um, is, is there anyone who would like to um, be able to read that as well? Or uh, is that okay that I'm just writing it down for myself? Usually at that particular point, there is already someone says, yo, that's valuable. Can I copy that from you? Okay. And then mm -hmm. my next question would be, uh, what do the others think? Do, do you think it's worthwhile to uh, document it at a particular spot in the file system or in whatever software you are using for documenting these things? Mm -hmm. Or do do we? Th what, what do you think? Can we do without? And okay. um, if at that point um, the majority of the um, people in the meeting decide that they can do without, I usually, depending on the mood, I usually add one more thoughtful sentence like, I'm not exactly sure if I have written it down correctly. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, that's a good should motivation I, then. Should I read that in front <laughs> of everyone? And mm -hmm. this usually gets people into thinking like, wow, okay, I might not have written it down correctly as well. Maybe he's right. Mm. Um, or in another another approach would be um, I, I don't like um, just saying I, I don't know how that is with you, but these for me it was quite a complex deci decision which we made. I, I think we made a good decision here, but it it has complexity in it. Um, I personally am not very good at remembering such complex things a year from now mm. maybe that's just me what do you think can you is it maybe for you it's not that complex and you think you can remember it as we decided a year from now what, what do you think okay. i'm just asking openly. 
Okay. And there's usually no one in the room who, who then uh, just steps up and says, I can remember everything, no matter how complex, in 10 years. Okay. No okay. one would usually do that. Yeah. You have a few psychopaths like that, but usually not in your team. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, um, hopefully. <laughs> but hopefully. maybe there is some kind of a photographic uh, brain so who is remembering everything. But yeah, that's, that's one in one million. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Maybe that's more or less the, the bare exception here. Yeah, that's right. And at that, at that point, you, you can get people into thinking about maybe he has a good, good point asking mm. these questions. And you do this without forcing people into a corner. You leave everyone uh, the golden bridge to uh, to step over and say, yeah, that's a nice idea. How do you think we can organize that? And you leave it open. You even leave it open for uh, people to um, to say, no, I don't want that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Which they usually don't because mm. what they do is they expect the next question. And the next question would I be asking if someone just bluntly says no I don't want that I would ask him wow that's great how do you remember such complex things how, how do, you, do you do that mm. perhaps I can learn from you yeah okay but no one does that because everyone knows that there is no answer to that question but is this now already more than simply taking minutes from a meeting this is where it starts this is usually where it starts and what what if you have planted this seed it usually it usually um, grows from there because what usually happens is that people start to think from that status quo to think from the status quo we are writing down what we are deciding well that's great shouldn't we be doing that with a particular format i find tables nice um i think we can organize a table format where the first column has um the description of the subject and the second has uh, just a tag like this was just an information or this was a decision or this was an open issue and this was uh, um, a to-do assignment and the third column has the name of everyone involved and the fourth column has a two-line um, pro, prose description. Of it. And this is usually what comes up. Someone will approach you after that meeting in a four-eyes situation and say something like, that was a nice idea. I have thought a step further. Can't we make it a little bit more formal so that and search that with my search engine, uh, which I'm using on my computer, and like this. And you would usually answer, great, nice idea. Wouldn't you like to introduce that in the next meeting we have on the same people with the same people? And from there you go. That's how you start requirements engineering, by planting a seed, by addressing the pain. You, you can't just order these tools or these processes over the heads of people if they don't see the necessity to do it, they will work around it. Okay, that, that's right. That's right. So if there is the particular demand by maybe the superiors that every and each meeting must be, must be provided with minutes, yeah. then mm -hmm. you will have some kind of fake minutes all the time. Yeah? So yes. Because the yeah, people are exactly. not willing to, mm -hmm. to summarize five minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I have seen that. I have seen that. What sometimes happens if you plant the seed in this way is that um, that some kind of boss will 
um, get wind of that, yeah. what you have done, and that, that he will have it explained to him, and that he will think, wow, that's a good idea. I'm going to order that for everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you do not want. Yeah, when you raise the bureaucracy and that of the seed you have planted. Mm. Okay, but that also means that if if you if you don't take care for it in a in a such kind of organizational idea or thought or direction, uh, you might mm-hmm. end up with a zoo of different uh, ways how this kind of yeah. seed yeah. will grow up. You definitely will. You definitely will. With every large organization, this is. This is um, the reality. You will end with hundreds of different ways to do that. Yeah. No way to escape? No way to go out? Again, the same approach. Work over the pain. Uh-huh. Is there anyone who has pain in the fact that there are so many different ways of documenting things? Okay. Can you, can you imagine someone who has pain in that? I can. <laughs> yes. Overall, project manager who has to deal with different units, yes, who do things differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has pain because he has. A, no matter what he reads, the next thing will be another format. Yeah, he has the pain, and um, he will definitely not want that, and um, he will have to convince people again. And he again can only convince people by. Providing them with a benefit. Ordering them will not work. They will simply work around that and do exactly what you said. They will just copy over and over the meeting minute template and leave it barely untouched. And do their style of documentation somewhere else where they have always done. At that point, you are still much better than not having addressed the documentation issue at all in the first place. Okay, yeah, that, that, that's obvious, yeah. So we are already talking about an optimized situation. Yeah, very right. Yes. I know both you and me know that running these kind of things in 10 different business units in 10 different ways is definitely bad and it, it's a huge loss of synergy, but um, you need to be able to provide those people which you expect to change their behavior, you need to provide them with a benefit for that. Okay. Otherwise, mm. they won't do that. They won't do it, yeah. Or not really, or not, not by heart. Yeah. Just formally. Yeah, and it's also something, what I regularly observe are 10 different kind of wikis, all kind of office yeah, suite definitely. details, yeah. some, some dedicated tools like document management systems or mm-hmm. something like that, mm-hmm. um, some email... Someone- uh, professional dedicated tools and someone uses yeah. word yes yeah exactly. right exactly and here i and i was just thinking about how can i unify this whole zoo of approaches but only have, via benefit yeah provide okay. mm. those people which you want to change their mind with the benefit of doing that and there is no general answer to that a benefit can be lots of things they can communicate with others more easily. Uh, They can interlink um, documentation because whatever tool they have uh, has the possibility of linking between there and the other one's space in that tool or whatever. There may be lots of reasons why they 
uh, why they would possibly benefit from that. I have heard a lot of companies we are providing then some kind of extraordinary, some special tool for requirements engineer. We, we for example, do some kind of doors. We implement doors mm -hmm. or we use magic draw or something like that, which mm -hmm. is particularly designed to satisfy the needs of specification and requirements mm -hmm. design. But yeah. these tools are very often provided in a way that it makes really no fun, absolutely no fun yes. to use yeah. them. Definitely. And yeah. it's at the moment we start, we are already dead. And that's something I really don't oh, understand. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. Is mm -hmm. this regular? Is this the regular approach? Is this approach which is foreseen for these kind of tools? Or are they only foreseen to be used by uh, a bunch of guys and all the other mm. ones have to keep going with Word documents? Or <laughs> ah, There's lots of different aspects. I like that one. Um, let, let's cover those aspects. The first, first aspect is why would people use doors and, and uh, one answer to that which is which is true very often is because the customer or the partner company expects them to because they will provide their specification indoors and they provide two doors implementations uh, to to change or to interchange content in some way or the other to link You can link between door insula doors installations between repositories. You can can link uh, so that you have a more or less combined specification. So that would be one reason. Um, and if we are talking about um, powers, if there is a small automotive um, third-party provider who provides software for a particular component, which is... Um, within a particular item to speak in the terms of the automotive industry. And uh, this item is to deliver, is del delivered to a particular um, automotive company based in Wolfsburg maybe. And those people tell them you have to use doors and we have to be able to access your requirements, a repository. There's no way around it. They want to have that contract full stop. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like this. So what they need is some kind of doors installation at their office. Okay. So what what they usually do is they, they buy this really expensive software and um, this expensive software, of course, comes with lots of offers to customize it to your particular needs around it, but they wouldn't afford that because they are a small company and um, one consultancy day for a doors customizing um, person is quite expensive. Mm -hmm. And apart from that, they have had no time to figure out which customizations to these um, doors th they would have, want to have in the first place. And without that, they can't order the consultant to do particular customization mm -hmm. yeah. because they have had no time to think about which they want. So this would be one aspect to this. Secondly, um, it's, it, that was the question of expertise. Uh -huh. uh, does door, the doors interface make more sense to people from a particular expertise compared to those which don't have that expertise? Yes, that's absolutely true. Uh, you can um, definitely figure your way around requirements, engineering, dedicated software 
much easier if you have expertise in the in the field of requirements engineering because in that case you know which functionality you have probably to expect from that software because that's what requirements engineering would need yes definitely um if uh, let me put that into a picture okay. if you are a captain on a sailing boat and someone magically puts you into the bridge of a big freighter you have less difficulties in figuring out uh, where the steering wheel is um, than someone who has never been in a ship before mm, okay good so the familiarity of the tool yeah. you will not be able to drive it right from the first moment but you will find your way around the bridge mm. a little bit better than someone else okay yeah agreed it's yeah. like that good okay um so this is um um yeah this is uh, so which, which uh, usually brings us to the question which are those functionalities which you probably would expect from the average requirement management slash requirement engineering tool in the first place right uh I, so you you think more than simply taking minutes notes and so uh, and, yeah. and these basic things. Yeah. So um, when you are when you once once you have figured out that something like writing down how you have decided and how you have agreed your product to be like, well, meeting minutes is one of those potential things, and there may be other let's say artifacts which uh, fall into the same category maybe you are assigned two working days to figure out how a particular technical problem can be solved best um, and once you have developed the, the consciousness uh, that you want to write it down because you want to be able to remember it a year from now um, you will write it down, but it won't be meeting minute because you have been alone the last two days, right? So that would be a valid artifact as well. But after all, bottom line is all these things are more or less requirements, right? Okay. Whether you de decide and agree upon a particular uh, product functionality in a meeting with three people or whether you figure it out by your own, uh, as long as the result is valid, is a, is a requirement. So... um. Then, then you usually start to um, um, to figure out where would I want to write it down. And the first approach is usually um, a common word file on um, on a file system which is um, approachable by everyone, at least for read access. But for those people who are allowed to change that document, they have write access on it, and um, or you use wiki or um, with more modern tools. What I have been seeing recently quite often is that they use um, yeah, the Confluence wiki from Atlassian um, together with Jira or only Jira or only Confluence. But th those two tools are interlinked uh, and, and work together pretty nicely. So this is, this is what usually comes to your mind first. And then what secondly comes to your mind, um, which is not addressed by the solution to write things down in Word, is um, 
I have changed this and that last week. It was on page seven, but how was it before? Where does not automatically provide you a history of how things have been before. And you would really want that because in every development project, um, decisions jitter around. One day you favor this solution and two weeks later, the other solution seems much more convenient and you change your mind, which is okay, which is totally okay. If you have good reasons, that's totally okay. But usually, sometime later down the road, you come to a point where you wonder, why did I change my mind? And how was it before? And Word won't be able to answer you that question. So what you start to do is you start to do versioning with Word. You can do the versioning in three ways, usually. First way you, you would uh, try is to use the change mode in Word. But that gets uh, pretty unreadable. Quite uh, definitely, soon. yeah. Yeah, but that's how you, people usually start to start to, to, to start their learning curve. The second thing is they do manual versioning in the file system. Then the, the rule is um, whenever you change that, you um, create a new file name, which is the current file name, dash, date, dash, time. And then you have a manual version history. And then usually someone comes up and, and says, um, we can do that by, by checking uh, the word file into subversion or whatever you're using there. Um, and uh, then you have addressed uh, the versioning and the um, development, evolvement over time issue with Word. Let's take a brief look at the Confluence and Jira site. The Confluence and Jira has versioning. If you change um, a Confluence ticket, a, a Confluence page, or if you change a Jira ticket, you have the possibility, it's automatically built into the system to look back uh, to the history of that particular issue. You can do that. So at that point of time, uh, uh, with, the, with that solution, you're already fine when it comes to versioning and to do historical things. It works there. The second thing is, um, which you usually want is that more than one person can do changes to the requirements base. Again, with Word, this yeah, is not possible. Yeah. Yeah. If someone opens the Word file and the next one tries to open it as well, you know, it, there comes this pop-up box. Um, this and that colleague is already working on it. You can look at it read-only, but that's it. Okay. Um, so this is the second problem you usually run into when you start with Word. Again, for the Confluence and Jira uh, side of these things, you are fine because um, those things are already designed to work concurrently. More than one person can change one thing at the same time. It, it works. It's, it's really nice. It tells you that someone else has changed things and what do you want to do now and do you want to override that? Do you want me to merge it? And it usually works quite nicely. So um, again, if you have decided in the first step that you are going to have your decisions and to have, to have your thoughts in um, a wiki style of um, document base, you're fine up 
up to then. Up okay. to then you're still fine. For the word, if you, word solution, if you have decided to go for the word solution, at that point of time, you are running into your second problem because you can't be work concurrently. This is the first two things you will notice. And um, the third thing you will notice is usually um, that you want to have status um, information on particular requirements like pending or like cancelled or like decision deferred until whenever and things like that. With Word, you can do that by just writing it into the document, but you can report on that. Um, if you want to, to get the whole picture, there is no way but manually reading through a whole file. Not really nice. To be honest, Joachim, I think uh, nobody is using Word in this stage, or? Yes, they are. Yes, big companies are. Yeah. They are using Word? Yes. <laughs> really? <laughs> companies are, yeah. Uh, okay, good. Yeah, maybe I was a little bit too enthusiastic here. So I, I thought everybody is at least using some kind of wiki. And uh, of course, uh, then you run into some kind of ticketing system mm -hmm. to... Which is, is very, often, very often, Word is the least common denominator. Okay, that's right. Yeah, okay, I see. I'm picking up from like 15 minutes ago where you asked, what can we do about different departments mm -hmm. running different um, tools. Yeah, right. Yeah. In a particular project, which is really pressing right now, you cannot do anything. You don't have the time to um, figure out if there is a common tool everyone agrees to. And right. it's not your job, by the way. Right, yeah. And then it, it happens very often that word is the least common denominator. And denominator. Okay, so it's managing by Excel. Yeah, so it's like, uh, yeah. yeah or Excel. Excel, uh, you can work with Excel. The same thing, yeah. You can, do, uh, you can do the reporting a little bit better because you can make columns which are explicitly locked for status and you cannot enter anything else. Yeah, but it falls into the same category as Word, more or less. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've seen these 10 megabyte Excel, so it's yeah, 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 all available there. Yeah, me too. Mm. Um, or PowerPoint. People use PowerPoint. Uh, customers really like to use PowerPoint at that at that stage because they usually have even less understanding and awareness of the of the value of re requirements engineering. Oh, but that, that's that's even more worse. So it's a presentation tool. So it's, <laughs> if we use it for that yeah. kind of affair, it's really okay. You really definitely abuse it. So okay. yeah, definitely you are you are. But still, it's better than spoken word. Spoken words, verbally exchange information, which is not uh, written down. That means we have the decision and thoughts to be noted. So something like a meeting minutes or note taking. Mm -hmm. When we have mm -hmm. the history of changes, we have the concurrent access and we have the status mm -hmm. information. Anything else then? Yeah, lots of things. What, what, usually come, what usually comes next is that there is some department Later on, like um, like um, quality insurance department, which tells you, okay, now we have at least some sort of a written specification. What we want to achieve now is we want to make sure that we have tests for everything which you write in there. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to read your 10 megabyte Excel file and do that manually. 
can we possibly do something about that? Mm-hmm. And that's what they basically wonder is, can we implement traceability? They want to be able to trace back their tests to the requirements which they test. Traceability. Okay. Or you have that from the outside, if there is an organization uh, from the outside who, who for whatever reason wants you to have traceability in your development process, whatever. That may be another reason. So, and at that point of time, you are totally lost with Microsoft Office. <laughs> yes. If you have, if you have I, well, I, just by the way, I have seen people then going to um, Microsoft Office Visual Basic and yeah. doing, yeah. Have you as well? Uh, no, but I have seen this kind of Excel sheets, which are full with macros inside, and they are doing yeah. exactly this yeah. kind of yeah. things. Yeah. Ah, I guess so. Okay, so yeah, that's what I have. Yeah, that's exactly that's what's happening. Um, when people come with, I need traceability because someone will ask me at the end of the day, have you made tests for everything they have in their document? I need to be able to answer him, yes, I have or no. And I don't want to read 10 megabytes file every day in order to find out if something changed. Some, someone bothered, uh, not, not bothered to tell me, right? So what they then start is if they have already um, if they have already walked down that that end by using Microsoft Word, at that point of time it's usually so late in the project that you cannot afford to migrate all your requirements data to some um, some um, other product which is made for it. But then you will usually say, okay, for this product project. I'm going to program some Visual Basic macros who do that for me. And afterwards, it has succeeded. The, the project has been finished successfully, <laughs> more or less. And then they said, oh, and also tools work quite well. Let's repeat it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Or if, if you mention your concerns, like uh, things like, uh, okay, now the, the project is done, but we had really a tough time in keeping our requirements base is, uh, and we are asking, we are asking uh, um, money for evaluating a dedicated tool, then the answer will, of course, be why it worked well. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, but I, th- I think this is only possible to uh, then again address the money factor. So to, to, to push the pain towards the money, which is lost yeah, due to wasting totally time right. and effort. That's totally right. If you are if you want if you are stuck in a project and you know you are running your requirements engineering in totally invalid tools mm. and you want don't want to do that again in the next project, that's the point of time where you start to run your stop stopwatch in order to take notes down how much time you wasted by handling this um, invalid tool. You have done this kind of listings. Then you have hard numbers. At the end of the day, then you have hard numbers and you can tell someone else, look, I have wasted this and that amount of time, which is equal to this and that amount of euro um, in that project. And it would have been much easier to have a tool for that available, which is dedicated for the job. Do you have done this kind of of, of, uh, logging? No, I have not. Yeah, (laughs) I have. (laughs) I have done it that way already to get some convincement um, favor, to get some kind of push. 
really, really good. You have it done. You have tried to go over the pain points, and the pain points higher up in higher up management is always money. Yeah, of course. Always Time, money, money schedule. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hmm. And they do not react by um, telling them, "I believe that we spend hmm. a lot of money on invalid uh, tool support, right. but only I can prove that we did." Yeah, I see. That's where you can react. Okay, you you just said there are a lot of other points. Yeah, there are some other there are some other nice points which which usually kick in at the, at that uh, point of time okay. later. Um, what you have um, then is um, that there um, that you are uh, well you usually are uh, de developing in um, a mainline product and there will be. There will potentially be uh, developers who say we should do a customization of this, um, which we can do for this and that side project. And if it works out nicely, we would be able to um, get that back into the main line of requirements later on. Like in software development, you call it branching the main yeah. development line, right? You do that branching, right? Yeah, yeah. You have um, you have a baseline. And um, from that baseline, you say, I'm developing in this direction. And at the same time, I'm developing in that direction and figuring out if it, and if we have figured out that it works, then we are merging back, back uh, all the nice things into the main line. Okay. That's yeah. what you do, right? In software development. Yeah. And um, of course, this can be done in requirements uh, management as well. And it is particularly true for um, companies which have, um, let's say, platform products, which they sell as is, but for which they offer customization product project. SAP, for instance, is a very nice example for that. You can buy SAP modules off the shelf as right. is. Mm -hmm. They can be installed and you can run, run them without ever touching one single configuration in them. They will usually not do, do what you want because that's what SAP wants. They they want you to purchase um, really expensive days of their consultants, which um, configure those um, modules as you need them. And of course, they are asked um, to report back home if they do configurations, if they do customizations, which are so good that they are worth to be put back into the main product line. Oh, I see. Okay. Which, of course, are addressed by requirements. Mm -hmm. So you, at the same time where you think about merging um, functionality, implemented functionality back into the main product development line, at the same time you need to be able to merge the requirements which belong to them back into the requirements mainline, right? Uh, yeah. And then you totally lost Word and you are lost as well if you have uh, used Jira plus Confluence. Mm -hmm. Those are things which are really in the domain of dedicated requirement management tools. You, you cannot do that with anything else. Not with Word, not with Excel, not with Confluence, not with Jira. It's, they are simply not stretchable so far okay so that means in the 
in the repository of the software, it's of course realized as dedicated branches, which are when backported yep. to the main branch yep. or to the master branch, whatever it is, it is named. Exactly. Yeah. But on the requirement side, it's not done. It's simply merged in a way of manual merge, but then you lose all the... You, you cannot branch with these tools like uh, Jira or, or the other ones anyway. Yeah. What you usually do at that point, if you figure that out, you make a big copy of the whole repository. And then the, the branching customization project, which branched from mm. the platform main project, uh, runs on through their copy. But then at the end of that customization project, when someone decides this and that feature which we developed is worth to be put back into the main line, it's stupid and um, really error-prone manual labor. I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, of course. If you do it with Word or if you do it with Confluence or if you do it with, with Jira. But dedicated requirement management tools have that functionality. You can tell them, okay, this is the platform baseline. I want to branch from here. And I want to be able to have an open door to merge things which I find have worked out really nicely back into the mainline later on. And I want the tool to help me with that, to figure out which requirements these are, to figure out if there is um, conflicts with them, and so on and so on. That's amazing. That's something which really, yeah, that convinces me because up to now I was not that really confident that these tools are really there to, to provide some kind of a benefit. But this mm -hmm. one is, I absolutely understand as I regularly work inside of projects which have this kind of platform idea. And there mm -hmm. I always observe, of course, on the repository, in the software repository side, it's no problem at all. No, it's uh, no problem at all. But no. on the requirements, it's a big mess all the time because you have slightly changes, but they are, they, they are somehow remarked in a, a feature uh, that's feature X and then it's feature X minus one, mm -hmm. X minus two for dedicated yeah. other hardware platforms, for example. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you manage it by adding additional artificial uh, tickets which must be manually sorted out afterwards. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I know that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Feel yeah. that. Um, there's one more thing which might be interesting for you which is also dedicated um, to um, which is also um, true for dedicated requirements management tools. Like if you have a big requirements base um, which you usually have for complex products not every requirement is of interest for everyone. There can be requirements for the hardware, which are only interesting for the interest of interest for the hardware developers. There are software requirements for the software and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. And requirements management tools allow you to tag requirements as you like. And on that tagging, based on that tagging, to provide restricted views on requirements. I see. You can do whatever you want. You, you can, um, you can um, configure those views as you like. For instance, you can do, I want to have every hardware requirement which is, um, which is currently uh, in the status undecided yet um, and uh, not approved or something like that. And um, yeah, this configuration um, for, for views is... Uh, 
is really nice as well. Mm -hmm. But this is more some kind of a of a query or some kind of mm -hmm. filter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, what about this this tagging? That is very interesting because the tagging and sorting out um, items which have this particular tag that's that's easy business. So that's a regular database issue, but. Mm -hmm. What about who tags it, under what condition, under what perspective? That might mm -hmm. be the, the interesting part here. How is that done then? Um, requirements management tools have um, usually a really sophisticated um, user management and user rights management part. Because when, when you start to tag, you usually um, address the question who is allowed to tag in the first place and who not. And who is allowed to um, to access what has been tagged? Maybe you want to tag th things mm. like secret for someone else because it would only distract them. Uh, th there might be reasons for that. So um, you usually have a really configurable user management part mm -hmm. where you can really um, highly granularly um, write down who is allowed to do what and who is allowed to see what. Okay. Mm. And the, the rules you can um, put there, they can be really complex, like um, user X uh, is allowed to use the tag um, hardware requirement for every requirement which is currently in state new and uh, is currently tagged as functional requirement and has been worked on by his colleague Müller um, not longer than two days ago or something. You I can see. do really complex rules there. No. And you can lose yourself in it. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, yeah. It sounds like that. Mm -hmm. Which is then, um, which is more or less already a ticketing system, right? Because if you regard one requirement as a ticket, well, it has a status, right? It's new, it's decided, it's cancelled, or it is still under discussion, and it's currently assigned to my colleague Schneider, um, then you are already almost at a workflow management system, which is the next thing. Um, good requirements management tools either come with um, some sort of ticketing slash workflow management um, part module in them, okay. or they are, um, they are um, prepared to connect to one. I see. If yeah, you okay. already, if you, well, you don't want to run your 10,000 uh, ticketing system. That's again, something which big companies have uh, many of, and you don't want to add even one more. So what, what uh, providers and vendors of requirement management tools usually hear, we use this in that ticketing system. We want you to be able to connect to it. No, I see. And that, that also will most, most likely, I expect it here, will, automatic, will provide the automatic uh, delivery of, of, uh, of tickets out of the existing requirements. So that's what I expect then. Mm -hmm. Okay, with, with this ninth bullet, we are far away from any Microsoft Office stuff here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, look where we started. We uh, tried to find our way through these uh, possibilities by looking at Word and Excel, and on the other hand, looking at um, Confluence and Jira. If you have decided on a Confluence and Jira solution, then you have, have this 
right? Because yeah. you have Jira and Jira tickets are flexible. So in, in the end, um, if someone, someone says, I cannot afford to have a dedicated requirements management system, well, if you can, if you can um, um, do without some of these features which we have mentioned now, mm-hmm. well, Confluence and Jira is much better than nothing. Of course. Yeah, I see. It has historization. Yeah. It has tagging. It has a ticketing system in it. It's much better than nothing. Well, that's amazing. So we have these nine bullets now, and I will I will mention them. Of course, I will list them in the show notes for the audience mm-hmm. that we have this kind of it, – it's anyway, it's some kind of a list. You, you decide by yourself how far you will go, mm-hmm. whether you effectively need this kind of additional stories, whether you need additional – this kind of additional features for mm-hmm. your requirements engineering tool. But it's a good way to go, I think. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. really some kind of help for the guy. What, what, uh, yeah, what, what I personally like so much about this, this list um, is that um, even now you are not possibly aware that you will have a particular need in one year. You know what others had before you. And, um, and you, can, um, you can wonder, am I going to develop the same need once my first high priority three needs have been fulfilled. Am I going to develop this need as well? Then possibly I can already look at something um, which will have the chance to uh, add, uh, add uh, this and that feature later on when, when I am needed and not go for a short-term solution, which I have to ch- exchange again in one year. Which brings me to two more things which are really important for this first is when you think of getting yourself a dedicated tool support you usually don't start from scratch on a green meadow you usually have something documented already migration is a big point here do you want and can you afford to migrate what you have into your new solution It will be expensive depending on how much you have and who will do that. And does it have to be done manual because it's quite unstructured because it's Word in Excel files with macros? Or can that be done um, in an automatized way because it's Jira and, um, and Confluence which have really nice interfaces for grabbing information from mm. the repositories in an automatized way? This is one thing. And the second thing is requirement management tools are best when you have already thought about the process in which you use them, which means you have to have a clear picture of the development process which you are following. If mm-hmm. you if you follow a different kind of approach every every sprint for instance um, they will not be able to help you because um, they have their great advantages um, in enforcing you and helping you to follow the process which you have agreed upon because you can yeah. configure them to do that I, yeah okay yeah if you don't have that process they can't help you with that mm. 
and then you lose lots of their advantages. Of course. Yeah, I see. So I, what, what I recommend is if you consider getting yourself support from such a tool is have your development process written down and agreed before. Because um, a fool with a tool is still a fool. Okay, yes, okay, yeah, that's right. And I think that's also a good final sentence, a final statement. Um, yeah, again, Joachim, a ton of information for, for me and also for the guys outside. Mm -hmm. um, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. This was my chat with Joachim. Joachim, many thanks again for your time and your will to share your know-how and your experience with us. For you guys in the audience, Joachim and myself would be delighted to hear from you. Let us know about your struggles with requirement engineering, whether you have succeeded or learned a lot, what your preferred approaches are and what kind of challenges you observe in requirement engineering from your perspective. We both are very eager to receive your feedback. Do not hesitate and contact us. Have a look at the show notes and you will find all dates available Show notes, as usual, you will find at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 42. And I would be especially happy if you would rate this podcast. You'll find the links to iTunes also in the show notes. This was the substantial 42nd episode of the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. I'm Georg Lohrer. Thank you for listening.